Welcome to Live to Grind. My name is Brennan C. Adams, serial entrepreneur, inventor, TV creator, and speaker, passionate about helping others create something great and become unforgettable. Join me each week to discuss practical ways to help you increase your income and impact as an influencer in your industry. My goal is to help you take your business and lifestyle to the next level. Now let's get started. Welcome back to the Live to Grind podcast show. I'm Brennan C. Adams, and on today's show, we have Sherry Amay, the founder of Live Big, Be Happy. And I have to say, this is probably one of the most interesting shows I have ever done. Like, I, it's a longer show. I actually had to cancel one of my meetings that was coming up because I wanted to get through all this. You're going to learn how Sherry literally defeated all odds. She defeated like death. She actually died. No joke that I didn't pronounce that wrong. Like, she died. And came back to life. And she's she actually went through six years of hell where she got a heart transplant. She had a bionic heart for a while. She had so many things go wrong, even where she had cancer. And, and she defeated all this and came back better than ever. So you're going to get to hear. Actually, you're going to hear when she died, her experiences, and what she experienced and what she claims she experienced heaven and what it was like and and what that was like for her then when she came back to life what was in her mind her mindset and some of the regrets she had and and the things she had committed to do and what she did to get through the tough times and so i have a lot of entrepreneurs say brennan how do you stay motivated how do you keep going when there's all odds against you and you literally have these down moments well she's going to share with you how she's done that. She literally had hit rock bottom and had came back to life and went through so much, just so much pain and everything she had got through. And now today she is speaking on stages across the country. She is an ambassador for a big hospital. She's an entrepreneur online doing big things with their brand. And, and she's just a huge success story. I guarantee you she will be on Oprah one day soon. And just the things she's working on, I'm just honored to know her. But the real gist of this podcast show, the big takeaway is being able to feed anything. And I even learned so much from this and it inspired me that anything is possible. You can even come back to life. You can you can defeat all odds, anything against you and the negative situations she has been in. She shares with you tips that you can literally do what you can apply to stay positive in anything life and death, whether you're going through cancer or you think about it for in terms of entrepreneurship, everything she went through and her journey along the way and even how she had worked with the company and had learned how to do coding when she literally took on a job and she didn't know coding, but she learned it. She took it on. She faced those fears and became very successful in the company, then started her own business and did very well. And then she, well, died, hit rock bottom and came back and now she's at it again. So, so much inspiration here. I am so stoked for you to listen to this show. But before we get into it, I have a question for you. Like Sherry, she's building her personal brand. You know, I am all about building a personal brand. And for you, are you building your personal brand? What are you doing to build your brand and your influence online? What are you doing investing yourself to make yourself look like the badass that you are? And Accelerate Media Group, we do that. So if you go to AccelerateMediaGroup.com, you can see all the services we have to help you build your personal brand for creating video, marketing, to help you do a huge campaign to get exposure and launches. That's what we do. So if you want to invest in your personal brand, if you want to work with me, go over to AccelerateMediaGroup.com. And 
apply to work with us for everything we have to offer. So let's get right into it with Sherry Ahmed. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Live to Grind podcast show. I'm Brennan C. Adams, and on today's show, we have Sherry Ahmed, of, the founder of Live Big, Be Happy, and someone that I am just honored to know and be able to collaborate with, and somebody that's doing some big things in the industry and with everything with their brand today. So Sherry, how are you doing? I am doing awesome. Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, you uh, You know, we've been connected here for about, I don't know, six, eight months, and and yeah. you've uh, you've grown more and more, and your story is one to, and I'm excited to jump into your story. And this is, I think, one good point to see how you literally lost it all and came yeah. back bigger than ever. So to let the audience know, Sherry, can you just go back in time? First, yeah. where you got started as an entrepreneur, your first entrepreneur endeavor, and where it led to you and your life experience. And we'll, we'll jump into things from there. Yeah, sure. So um, I started off actually as um, a programmer. So I was a, a computer programmer. How old? Um, I was in my early 20s. So it okay. was very shortly after college, after graduating from... Uh, Where'd you graduate? Wesleyan University. And what was in, your degree? Uh, Connecticut. A history. <laughs> His, history? Out of all that history? Really? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It's so funny. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a lawyer. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And it was kind of funny. You know, it's a liberal arts school. So it really was like, are you going to graduate, you know, major in government or English or history? It was kind of like, eh, what do I enjoy doing, you know? And uh, I I figured so many people that I hung out with were either, you know, going into law or into um, investment banking. Yeah. Yeah. That was like the, the two big things at the time. And I kind of graduated and was like, well, I don't really think I want to do either one of those. <laughs> and so I kind of took some time to really figure out what did I want to do? And uh, I ended up getting this job. It's such a funny story, but um, I ended up landing uh, one of the top interviews with AIG um, yeah. at the time and on a trading floor. And like, you know, anybody that knows me is like, you on a trading floor? I mean, it's insane. Like the guys are just like standing on tables, like swearing their their heads off. I don't even know if they still do that, but it was insane. Yeah. And um, I was just like, what have I gotten myself into? And it was a great opportunity, but I was like, this isn't for me. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to graduate at a time where the economy was booming. You know, there was just jobs everywhere. So somebody with my degree then, um, it mattered a lot, you know? Um, and so I was able to really land any job I wanted. So it was a great time for me to just figure out what I wanted to do. And just one day I started experimenting with graphic design. I had always been an artist and I thought, well, what if I just, just tried to get my design on the computer? And in that process, I somehow learned, like I took like two days of, of HTML and fell in love with it. And it ended up being, uh, I ended up going right into programming. And uh, I got my start with um, a, a startup tech firm at the time. 
and we exploded. So I, I literally rode, uh, it was the early 2000s and I rode um, the big, the big bubble <laughs> of, you know, when really tech started taking off and, and dominating, you know, the marketplace. Did you, and, did you start working for them? Did you work for them? And then you, you joined the company? Yeah. So I worked for them. They, you know, they hired, it was growing so fast that, you know, really, if you had an interest, they were just like, come on board. <laughs> you know, it was total startup mode. And, uh, you know, you had your employee number. Like, I think I was employee like 86 or something like that. And, you know, we grew up to, I don't know, 300 and something. I mean, within a year, I mean, it just exploded. So I really had a lot of that startup mentality under my belt. And um, I stayed with that. Uh, I lasted even throughout the, the bubble burst. And, um, you know, I eventually was able to become one of the top programmers. I was totally self-taught, um, taught myself everything and um, became one of the top lead tech developers around and was able to travel all over the country and just live in different places. I lived in Texas, Austin, Texas. Um, I worked for Microsoft uh, for a little bit in Washington state. And I just was like living this life in my, in my twenties, like making, you know, 150,000. Like I'm just thinking like, this is life. Like this is just what you do. Yeah. And then I hit this point where I was like, but what's next? You know, everything had kind of come so fast. And I was like, well, I kind of want to get married. I want to meet somebody. Yeah. And I thought the only thing to do was to settle down. Like there was, it, it, the, it wasn't like how we are now with social media where you could meet different entrepreneurs. I can meet people like you. And, um, so I'm, you're just on your own making 150,000, not knowing what the heck you're doing. You know, yeah. you're just having fun. And I thought settling down meant I had to go back to a 95, get in health insurance, you know, through a company. I thought that's what I had to do. And I did that for a little while and really got met. That's when I ended up in advertising. So I was able to use all my tech skills in the tech department for this is when um, uh, digital marketing really started to explode in the advertising space. What year was this? This was like 2003 to 2006, maybe. Yep. Okay. So I literally worked for like a top advertising firm. I mean, I was working on multi-million dollar projects and I, you know, I'm very interesting. Like I, I have a lot of different talents and I actually positioned myself at this job to be both a project manager when I felt like it. And then when I got tired of that, I could go back to the tech team and be like a lead tech developer. So that's actually how somebody like me, that was very like, you know, I'm like you, like I need to go, go, go. Yeah. So it's very easy for me to get bored on jobs. So I do better when I get to play different roles and they recognize that with me and they saw me as such a value that they, I could just go to them and be like, I don't want to be on the tech team right now. Like, can I go back to, you know, project management? So I learned basically all these roles from account management, project management, coding, backend, leading. I had 14 teams at one time. I mean, it was so startup mode, even though it was in advertising because it was the digital space. It was, it felt like a startup company again, which I loved. 
And, you know, we stay up till 3am coding and, you know, it just bizarre, you know, but that's what you do when you're in your exactly. 20s. <laughs> that's the time to do it. And I just absorbed all this knowledge and eventually was able to walk away and actually start my own tech firm. So what did you learn from working in that startup community and as they were scaling before you, you leaped in to do your own thing, what did you learn working in that company? Like your big takeaways that people can learn from. Yeah. A biggest takeaway is uh, I learned number one for myself, how fast I could go from being not skilled at all at a programming to within three months, I became their top programmer. Wow. Literally, and they never knew I couldn't code. I actually, the first day I was hired, I came in, I had a massive panic attack. I realized I was hired for a job that I couldn't do. So I got a whole stack of uh, books on how to program, how to, how to code. And at my assignment came in, my first, like, I don't know how much money this site was. I had no idea how to code it. No idea, Brandon. And I literally, like, I couldn't even make a table. Okay, this is what I mean. Like, I had no idea how to code. I thought I did. I just didn't. Because like I said, I only took two days of HTML. <laughs> so, and this was, again, you guys, just for reference, this is before WordPress and, you know, yeah. all these sites that basically do it for you. Um, and so I took all these books with me every 10 minutes to the bathroom. And that's how I learned to code. So number one, I learned that um, with enough pressure, if you, you know, I had the choice. Do I tell them I can't do this job and quit? Or do I stick it out and somehow come up with a miracle. And I decided to stick it out. So that taught me the power of resilience. I mean, not only did I learn to code, but within three months, they were handing every site to me, even though there was a whole team, because not only could I do them, but I did them well. My code was clean. Um, the clients loved my coding. You know, this is programmer talk. But, <laughs> you were, but, you you were know, self-taught. I mean, you- yeah. You learn yeah. it, and I, I think what most people do is the opportunity you had, most people would, they would just fold. They'd be like, I, I can't code, but you're like, I'm willing to learn. You yeah. figured it out. You got, you got past that fear because a lot of people get the fear like, oh, I don't want to jump in and do entrepreneurship full time, or I don't want to do this. You're like, you know what? I'll just do it. You conquered that fear, and because yes. of it, you were rewarded in big ways. Oh, yeah. And that confidence really taught me that when I don't know how to do something, that's when I need to go all in and figure it out because it's the fear that's just blocking you. Mm -hmm. And that when you get a result like that, that's when you then have more confidence, more courage to then go to the next obstacle. And really like success, entrepreneurship, any of this stuff is just a series of, you know, failing, uh, overcoming one little obstacle that was in your way and jumping to the next one. That's all it is. So what, what was your transition like then for you going from working in the, the company to starting your own business? So the transition for me, thankfully, was very, it, it was smooth and it was insane. <laughs> yeah. It was smooth in the sense that I, I had prepped myself. I used working at that company to, I knew I wouldn't last forever because I knew I had entrepreneurship in my blood. Uh, and keep in mind, I had already been an entrepreneur. So yeah. I had just, I came back just cause I thought I, that's what I needed to do was settle. <laughs> and, um, 
but I, I, while I was there, knowing eventually I would want to leave, I got to know every role. I went down to the uh, legal team, you know, that would chicken scratch all the copywriting. I sat with them. Why are you blocking that out? Why, why does the registered trademark have to go just once and not twice? I would sit down with the copywriters. Why did you write your headline like that? I would sit down with the account managers and say, why are we sending out emails like this? What's a value add? I didn't know what that word was. I was a programmer. And I learned everything. So that made the transition uh, not only so smooth for me uh, uh, in implementing a, a company where I now needed to run all the different departments, but it allowed me to network so that when I had issues, on my own, alone, running a business, I could call up people. Um, if I needed a job done, you know, very quickly for a client or, you know, I had people I could trust. I had designers I could trust. Um, they could recommend other designers that they knew. So it set me up to actually um, launch my business with already massive clients. So within the first three months, I actually made my first six-figure client. Um, wow. And I had 12 additional clients. On so were they from so. past work in the past company? Like some people then up coming and joining you, working with you? Um, s- some people, uh, you know, a lot of times in, in advertising, uh, we do freelance work. So some people, some people did some freelance jobs for me, but a lot of times they would have friends. And then for the clients, um, you know, so many of us also, you know, advertising is, is constantly uh, jumping around, similar to entrepreneurship. So if you maintain those friendships, when they move to go to another company or they leave to start their own firm, um, they'll they have, right, they go to you because I'm the, the tech person and maybe they're the designer. So it was a lot of like, it was like the networking really created my business as well. Friendships and relationships. Relationships are very important because people will buy from people. If they, they like you and trust you, they will go to you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing to note is with all that like instant success within the first three months, I never during the time of running my business had to ever market. Never. Like when I finally started building this brand, you know, two years ago, I was like, what the heck? Like, what do you mean I have to do funnels and marketing? And like, I, I just new game. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sales as well. Sales. All of that was new for me because people just handed me money. (laughs) Yeah. What, 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 uh, so for, for you, how, how far did you grow that business? Like what did you bring on people to your team? What, how did you scale it? So I ended up, well, here's the thing. I didn't know anything about scaling. All right. Like I will flat out tell you this now. I was running this, not, uh, you know what it was? I, this business came about by accident. What I thought was, I thought I was building a, um, what do you call it? I thought I was, I thought I was walking into being an entrepreneur again, like more, more of a freelancer. I didn't mean to be a CEO. I didn't mean like what happened was I got so much business that I just frantically, I I didn't have a Grant Cardone. I didn't have you. I didn't have anybody telling me, Oh, this is what's no mentors around you. Yeah. No mentors. None. Like I was just like, you know, and what happened was I just got more and more business 
and you know the stress piled on. So I just pull, it was just random. It was just like pulling in and again, because of my network, I had really quality people. So it, it worked. I, I delivered excellent, you know, over the top, uh, work, uh, amazing testimonials. Um, everything was doing great. And it was around the height of the business that I got, um, married. And then two months after I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer. Wow. So that literally happened at the height of everything booming. So what was going through your head when you, when you realized you got, you had cancer and, and what, what was like going through your mind because you had a business booming, you just got married and that, that hit, what was going through your head? Like, what were you thinking about? Uh, number one, I thought I was going to die. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, look at all the, 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 what society talks about with cancer and, and how it's stigmatized and how it's, you know, there's a very, this is one of my missions is to really bring a little bit more awareness and kindness to the topic of disease and even cancer. But I were so brainwashed to think that it's, it's a death sentence. And while, um, you know, for some, it, 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 it ends up where they, they don't survive. What people have to understand is it's not always the cancer that, you know, uh, takes your life. It's, a, it's the complications. It's, it's so many different factors. Um, and that's a whole other conversation, but I really, number one, I thought, you know, I was going to die. So I felt a lot of shame. I felt like a failure and I felt like, why'd you feel like a failure? I think just because that's what society makes you think when you get a disease. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's a, it's a tough situation to be in when you're finally diagnosed with something that's, that's chronic, you know, that's life threatening. It's a different ball game. Um, the most loving people in your life can treat you extremely differently. They can, they can treat you like you're already dead. I mean, it it will bring, you know, not to get this somber, but you know, I learned a lot during those years that I was sick, a lot about relationships, a lot about people, a lot about how to actually pinpoint who the people are that have the, the strength, the mindset to be able to handle when things like that happen in life. So what are the things that people have the strengths to be able to handle that in life? Like what are the things they need to have? Um, usually they're people that are very, um, they're very open-minded. You know, they have very similar qualities to entrepreneurs, you know, entrepreneurs that really are, successful and and get out there and are go-getters. It's a different level of mindset. It's a mindset of um, staying positive. It's a mindset of understanding your energy that if you are around somebody that's been diagnosed for you to sit there and mope around um, helps nobody. It's the same with business. You know, if you have a, if somebody, you know, it's an entrepreneur has a bad day, you're not going to sink down to that level you're going to walk in there with the power, the motivation, the inspiration to get them back up because 
we all have those days and the successful entrepreneurs know how to do that. And it's very similar with, with disease, illness, healthcare. Um, people need to know that your vibration is everything. The way you treat people is everything. The way uh, you ignore somebody because they're in a wheelchair, that says something. Studying people, I think, during the years that I was, I was sick, uh, I do that now. I do that now in entrepreneurship. And, you know, I talk a lot about networking and, and how I identify who the key people are that I want to actually go after and network and get them to notice me because I, I, I will meet them. Um, it's the same level of observance that I use when I'm looking for quality people in my life, even just as friends. Um, yeah, because it made a big difference. And that, that was a big trauma that I had to uh, go through for the years I was fighting for my life. That's a powerful thing to have, you know, being able to read people and see what energy, like if they have it, if they, if they yeah. can handle it. You know what I mean? I, I always say if I'm in a room with somebody and I look at them and they tell me what they're going to do, I can look in their eyes and see like if they got it or not. Yeah, they got exactly. that eye of the tiger, if they can make it happen or not. Yeah. It, it, it's something. And again, I, I'll, that's why I said to you when I first met you, I'm like, yeah. you got it. You just, yeah. that just straight out shows it. So what are some of the things that people you experience? How do people treat you differently? Like what, what did you learn from that? Um, I just learned that, um, you know what I learned? I learned that the friendships that I had had, for 20 years, uh, 20 plus years, although they were comfortable, they were not healthy friendships. And I had to actually stop and, and think, why were they not healthy? Why was I always disappointed by these relationships? And I realized what it was, was um, they they themselves had very unhealthy relationships. And I would ask myself, what is it that successful people or people that don't have a lot of drama? Cause I was surrounded by a lot of drama my whole life. Yeah. And I, and I finally, after I got sick, I, I was like, I gotta get this. I gotta understand this. Why am I surrounded by people that would walk away from me? when I was fighting for my life, there's something about that. And I was yeah. deter determined to fix that. And I realized that the people I had surrounded myself with were very un they, they had unhealthy relationships themselves. They, um, they were used to whining and complaining. They were used to talking about how difficult life was, but yet not doing anything about it. They would get mad at me because I was always a go-getter and I was always advancing my career and they always felt left behind. So my whole life, I, it was always this balance of, I want to go for su success, but everybody around me hates me when I'm, I'm successful. So it was this mixed message, you Pe know? People, you know, it's interesting you say that because it, sometimes I've, in life you reevaluate re friendships and are they, and this may sound wrong for the wrong people, are they bringing value to your life? In a, right. a true relationship, you should both bring value to each other. You know, yes. husband, wife, I'm mean, boyfriend, girlfriend, business, always yes. be adding value and putting in the work. And some people, 
in this for a relationship, there might be somebody that puts in so much, let's put example, let's say a girl is putting so much energy into a relationship and doing everything for the, for the man, but the man gives little to nothing in return, not giving at least equal or more to the relationship to add to it. And that, which results in being unhappy. And then it's a domino effect. And it should be, I saw this post somewhere where it showed a guy and a girl and where how a relationship should be is each person thinks that they're the lucky one that Mm -hmm. has the situation they do. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) But again, for business too, and in friendships, I've seen where people that are around you, even growing up, sometimes family, they have this mindset and negativity that they think they want to mourn for you or they want to do things like to try to help you, but really it's not helping you. Right. And being positive. I I like because entrepreneur mindset, the entrepreneur mindset to attack any disease, survive cancer. And I always, again, I've, I haven't had any medical issues, Sherry, but I can tell you if I ever in my lifetime got cancer or anything else, I could tell you, I would be the mindset of anything's possible. Nothing will kill me. And I believe just having that mindset and that energy alone for anyone yeah. Again, I haven't been through the shit that people go through, chemo and all that, but if you have that mindset, that'll push you through and give you a better chance of living. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, going back to um, what, you know, just to give you an idea of the level of support, a lot of my friends, um, I, I, I shouldn't just say friends, but I, I did have uh, one or two friends, a couple of friends as well as a family member, tell me I caused my cancer. Now, I... Caused your cancer? Well, this is something that's very prevalent in in holistic, in in, uh, like holistic type healthcare. A lot of, and, you know, a lot of people, I get where they're coming from, but they don't know how to communicate a correct message in order for somebody to heal from disease. We, you do not know, and you cannot possibly know why somebody else got sick, period. Yeah. There's no possible way. But what society will do, and I get it, I still get it now. If I write a post on my Facebook and I say, when I had cancer, the first question people say, what were you eating? You know, or like, you know, Meanwhile, I was like the healthiest person you ever met. I mean, yeah. everybody, everybody called me Dr. Cher my whole life, Dr. Cher. So when I got, when somebody like Dr. Cher got cancer, it was like, oh my God, like it just freaked everybody out. And I think to deal with it, they had to make me wrong for it. Do you know what I'm saying? They had, they had to put it in its place. To justify for themselves, that's to justify. Yeah, it's it's not logical, but but neither is a lot of people that go after entrepreneurship, and they could be two inches away from the next huge bang for their business, and they fold everything in just because of the first little obstacle, right? You just got to push through the obstacle. So you've you've been through, you've been through. I was gonna say <laughs> hell and back, but you haven't been to heaven and back. Heaven so and back. Let's, let's, so, okay. What happened? So your business, you're yes. getting closer. Tell me what happened from you figure out you had cancer. What happened next? Yeah. 
So I uh, immediately underwent, um, you know, after, uh, because of the people around me, I, I tried to not do cancer, but with Hodgkin's lymphoma and what people need to know, especially all, not all cancers are the same. And my cancer specifically Hodgkin's lymphoma was like 98.9% curable. So, you know, people are like, I don't know, you shouldn't be doing that cancer, the chemo stuff. So I had to make the decision that I was going to go all in. And there's something very, again, similar to business. There's so many similarities, but you have to have that mindset that if once you make that decision, you go all in. And I, like you said, I attacked uh, this treatment with the mindset of like a beast. Like I was going to win this. We are going to go through this. We're going to take it step by step, day by day and handle whatever comes up. Um, I underwent six months of this treatment. It was four different chemotherapies. It was the worst thing I had ever experienced up to that point. <laughs> and, um, and I made it through, you know, um, what ended up happening was, uh, things I was cancer free after six months. Um, how did it affect your and- business? Was your business still going? So it was at its bare minimum at that point, because I, what I did was I worked through the chemo. Um, and then what happens is the, the chemo that I was on is commute, commute, uh, what's the right word? <laughs> Cumulative. Why am I like not figuring out that word right now? But it's, um, you know, it accumulates in your system. So um, by the end of the six months, you can't walk. Like your legs literally feel like elephants. They're so heavy. Um, so by the end, I was so tired. I was so drained. So I was just doing like bare minimal stuff. Um, I had let go of some of the larger clients. Um, and I kind of transitioned more into like nonprofits and just stuff where I felt like I, was, I just was in this mood of just giving, you know, it's like after being just your body beat down, I just didn't want to do the, the, the corporate type, like ugh, hustle, you know, I just didn't have that energy and, and I just was in the mood to give. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a while and I did like website and, and social media and stuff for, uh, some nonprofits and just felt good about myself again, you know, getting that confidence back and really uh, fueling my body with lots of, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables and rebuilding my business again, attacking it in full beast mode. Like we finished the chemo. Okay. I don't feel well, but let's have a plan of attack. Let's, let's get me it. better. Right? And so I did that again. And then eight months later, um, out of the blue, I started having trouble breathing and, uh, within three months, um, you know, after unsuccessful attempts at going to the local hospital and, and trying to see doctors, uh, they just missed that I was in heart failure. So, um, I, I knew I was dying actually. And, um, the day I died, my hu- I don't remember that day, but my husband took me back to the local uh, hospital. And within 10 minutes of walking in the emergency room, I flatlined right in his arms. Uh, and that uh, was the beginning of this whole second journey of my life, which 
These doctors could not resuscitate me. The whole entire emergency room was utter pandemonium. Um, you know, just people on top of doctors on top of this table, just doing chest compressions. Uh, within 10 minutes, they were ready to flap, uh, to call my time of death. They couldn't get my heart to restart. And one doctor in that emergency room was like, I'm not losing her. And he happened to be my doctor who was the chief of the local, uh, cardiology. And, uh, so he knew me and he knew of my history with the cancer and he's like, we're not losing her. And he ordered the entire, I mean, Brandon, it was so bad that it was the worst thing the hospital had ever seen. So they did, the, the staff didn't even know how to handle like, we can't keep her alive. Well, what do you mean keep going? Well, they didn't know what to do. So this one doctor uh, was literally, he's been described as like a drill sergeant in that emergency room. And he just ordered everybody, continue with CPR, do this, do that. And long enough for him to install this temporary type of life support device that would bypass my heart because it just would not restart. Um, and they had to do on the table full chest compressions for over 90 minutes um, to the point where my lungs actu actually were punctured by my ribs and I had complete internal bleeding. So I, I was in dire, dire condition. What made them continue to keep me alive is... is a story for miracles. Um, but without a heartbeat with just after, you know, over 90 minutes, just this one contraption delivering oxygen to the rest of my organs, uh, just keeping the rest of the organs alive, no heartbeat for hours, hours, Brandon. You were, and, you, were uh, you were under, so you were dead physically like dead for a few hours. Yeah, it was, it was definitely a few hours. It was, um, you know, but, you know, what I learned was, I guess the body can stay pumping <laughs> if the other organs are, are fed the oxygen. So they had no point that, you know, after 90 minutes, it, is she brain dead? They had no clue. So really what took place in that room that day is why I'm still here today because, it, you know, I mean, you know how many split decisions had to be made in that moment? That, that doctor had an entrepreneurial mindset of not quitting. You basically yeah. do whatever it took. So- yeah. Do you remember what was it like when you were so-called dead? Like, were you, Yeah. what was in yeah. your dreams or like, like, what was that experience like? Yeah, it was incredible. Um, I remember actually instantly dying. Um, I remember it being like as easy as just walking right through a doorway. Um, and, you know, so many of us like, you know, in, in this life, um, you know, we're always wondering what's it like to, to die? What does that feel like? You know? And it's weird because I'm like, Oh, I know now. <laughs> like I actually remember being like in heaven being like, Oh, that was easy. <laughs> Can you explain yeah. it? Cause I know so many people yeah. want to know like what, so like you died, like what, yeah. what was it like? What do you remember for what it was like for you? I just remember it being so incredibly easy and so beautiful, just filled with, you know, it's, it's, you really can't put into words, but I just remember being so at peace. I remember feeling light as a feather. Like 
I had no burdens in the world. All the guilt and the shame from having cancer that I explained earlier was just gone. I mean, and and all the guilt from my whole life, like I said, with all my friends always making me feel wrong for wanting to branch out and meet new people. It was just such a common theme in my life. You know, even in college, I remember I was always somebody that hung out in different cliques. And I remember I once had to sit down in front of my whole crew and apologize one-on-one to them because I had dared to go hang out with some other people. So I just remember, like, it all came to me in heaven. And I was like, I don't feel that guilt anymore. Like, I'm free. And because it felt so incredibly blissful, I was like, I don't want to go back. And I clearly remember being like, I want to stay here. I don't want to go back. Why would I want to go back? It's so dense there. And uh, before I knew it, I, I met um, this group of that I call this group of beings. And they communicated with me. And I told them I wanted to stay. Um, and they gave me time to think about that decision. And that's when I, they took me on this whole lifetime review and I ended up changing my mind and decided that I did want to come back. And then I experienced this whole period of, uh, where my body was given time, like in this very heavenly space to heal. And they said, you know, I said, what am I waiting for? It felt like forever. And I said, um, you know, everything is telepathic, but they were saying, we need to wait for your body to be ready for you to re-enter and go back. Wow. So that's yeah. some powerful shit right there. <laughs> and the crazy part is, I mean, not that everything else is crazy, but the really crazy part is that I know now what it's like as a newborn baby and their soul to actually re-enter into physical life because I experienced the trauma of having to go from the after realm or the spiritual realm back into the physical realm. And it was rough. It was was rough. It was like, I was, I was to explain it like briefly, I, it felt like I was suffocating trying to go from this expansive world into this third dimensional reality. So I, it, I couldn't actually breathe. Uh, you know how like a baby is coming out of the, yeah. the womb and then they have to take their first breath of air. It was a struggle for me to get the first breath out. Wow. Do you remember <laughs> when you first awakened, like what, what you saw was just. There. Yeah. The ceiling, yeah. You're laying there on the bed. Yeah. I remember I was laying in the bed. Uh, I knew I died. I knew I had just woken up from my death. Apparently this was seven days later. So I had fallen into a coma, uh, you know, when they had resuscitate me, resuscitated me. And when I woke up, um, I knew, and I was afraid. I was afraid to go. I was afraid to go back because it was so trauma traumatizing going from that world back into this world. I was like, don't, you know, don't put me under again. I don't want to have to redo that again. (laughs) You know, I was just afraid the transition was tough. So I loved, I loved being in the afterlife, but the transition coming back here was so rough that I was like, don't put me back under again. I don't want to die again and have you bring me back to life. 
So, uh, but I couldn't speak. So I remember laying in the bed and I remember um, trying to communicate with my parents uh, to tell them that I thought I had died. And before I knew it, they were just whisked out of the room and I was sent back into a coma for another three months. Three months. And then when did you come to the point where you were back? Because you had a bionic heart, right? Yeah. So, uh, so I was basically in, in and out of a coma for three months. Uh, that whole time I was unexpected whether or not I would live. I mean, those three months. So you can only imagine what my yeah. husband went through for three months, yeah. right? Uh, and at a certain point he had to go back to work and he's like working every day and then driving all the way into the city, you know, sometimes sitting in traffic for three hours in New York City. Um, just to reach me in the ICU. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think of what he had to go through, but, um, I eventually started getting better after three months. Like it was just, uh, I miraculously started becoming, uh, they, they would keep me out of the coma long enough where I'd be more aware of what was going on. And it's funny because even when I was hooked up to life support, ventilator, everything, because like I said, my lungs had crushed during um cpr so i had they realized after i was um, uh, transported into new york city hospital that they realized that they were like she's bleeding everywhere like i literally it was crazy i was bleeding everywhere like i can't even describe how close i came to not surviving i was just actually bleeding out of my pores i mean that's how bad it was and they couldn't figure out why. And they finally realized that during CPR at the local hospital, it, uh, my lungs had been crushed. And so when they realized that, they blocked off my lungs, put me on a ventilator. Um, so I was on the ventilator for months. And even with all the tubing, I mean, I had trees of medicines keeping me alive, the machines. I had an external heart because my heart wasn't beating. Like, it's crazy. It's literally like a scene out of the matrix. And um, I remember even in that state being like, I was so oblivious to what was going on that I was like, stop telling me I'm sick. I would actually like write or however I could communicate, I would let everybody in the room know, do not tell me that I'm like dying. Do not tell me that. I don't know how I communicated this. But it was, I was so used to being in a, a, med, a med, uh, meditative practice. I was so used to reading books like Louis, uh, Louise Hay uh, or Wayne Dyer that even in this crazy state of being in the ICU, I had the tools in me that I had been reading for years. You know how we see my, uh, motivational quotes all, yep. every day, right? Yep. That was my moment when I was fighting for my life in the ICU, attached to every single possible life support device known to man. That's when I said, now is the time to utilize all of those motivational quotes. Now is the time to put it into practice. So you, you it was survival mode. And it's like, this is what yeah. I have to do. So yeah. when you were in this this experience and basically in your bottom of life, it's like a renewed birth. Yeah. Were you rethinking like, Hey, here's a th- Did you think about things that you still want to do in life? Hey, this is what I want to accomplish. Like what was going through your mind for your future? What were you really? Yeah. Thinking? 
you know, there were times where I thought, wow, like, like Brandon, I can't even describe to you how incomprehensible it is when something like that happens to you. And you're like one minute you were just like, I thought I was in a car crash when I first woke up. I did not know. I, I didn't know it was my heart. My husband says your heart. I'm like, I feel like I've, I've been in a, 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 like run over by a truck. Yeah. And the only thing I could think of was I felt, wow, is this why I had worked? I was such an overachiever. And I thought, is this why I got, is this why I went to the best college? Is this why I worked so hard to build other people's companies? Is this why I worked till 3 a.m. building sites for these top brands that, that you eat every day? Yeah. To land here by myself, attached to life support, where, yes, people are helping you, but there's no darker place to be. There's no darker place to be than fighting for your life. Nobody can reach into your soul and hug that dark part of you that is completely alone, staring face to face with your mortality. Wow. That, so I'm visualizing this myself if I were in that position. So for you to get out of that, did that give you the motivation to realize I'm doing my thing? I'm doing yeah. what I want. I will never again do something on other terms. Yeah. That was real. That was the, the beginning of, yes, that most powerful awakening that you feel in me today. <laughs> that statement right there embraces everything that I preach. You know, even at the end of the show, create something great, become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I mean, your life ended, it came back because, and you realize that life's too short to spend until 3 a.m. building somebody else's company or brand or anything else, doing all these things that for society that we think we should have to do. When in reality, you realize, why not just do what I want to do? Focus, because every day could be my last, so why don't I focus on every single day? And that was kind of a lesson you were experiencing for yourself in that moment. So what did you do? So moving forward, I think in their incident, right? Like you had a heart transplant, it failed. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was basically since then, you know, I, I, I got out of the hospital after four months. I, because I had this big external bionic heart keeping me alive, they had this crazy latest technology that reduced the size of the bionic heart to something more portable that patients could go home with. I was completely an end stage heart failure at this point. So even though my mind wasn't wrapped around the fact that I needed a heart transplant, they kind of like, you know, I didn't really know, you know, it was, it was like living, staying alive. Every, my, my role was I need to stay alive for another five seconds. Like Brandon, like that was my life. Another five to 10 seconds. Okay. I'm still alive. Like yeah. that, that was my life, um, for the next five years. So during those five years, I went home on this portable device. It's called a left ventricular assist device called an LVAD. And it was just the latest. I was a pioneer patient. It was the latest upgrade of this machine that was smaller, more portable. 
and really allowing patients to get back to not only living their life and being with their family at home and the comfort of your own home, but being able to get back to somewhat normal activities where you could actually rebuild your body and your health while waiting for a transplant. So there's two options. You can either stay on this for the rest of your life. So sometimes older patients or people that have chosen not to get a heart transplant will just stay on it. You know, I know plenty of young people that decided just to stay on it. And that just means you have to get it re-implanted every few years. So um, I was eligible for a heart transplant. So because I had the cancer, because when you have a heart transplant, you're on a lot of uh, immunosuppressant drugs. So they're going to suppress your immune system. They want enough years between your, your being cancer-free yeah. and having you know these drugs in you. So we had to wait a few years and then I was able to be listed. So I waited about a year and a half for a heart. Um, and with this, you know, bionic heart, um, and you know, it was stressful, you know, it's stressful to have a computer keeping you alive, but you know, and you just live day by day, you live second by second, you know, complications can happen, but you put your trust in the hands of the doctors, you put your trust in a higher vision for your life. Um, I spend a lot of time in nature, just, you know, and away from people. That was really how I handled it because every time I would see people, they'd be like, Oh, I can never do that. (laughs) I'm like, like I had a choice. (laughs) I mean, I guess the other choice would be, I would say, don't put that in me let me die. You know? Um, so you get again, random comments from people like that when you're actually diagnosed. All right. These are the things you hear after you're diagnosed with something. You just hear really things that just people, I guess they just don't know what to say. So they say all the wrong things. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Brandon, I made the best of being on the banning heart. Like I'm not going to tell you it was easy at all. I cried my eyeballs out day after day, but I would dry off my tears. And that day I would say, okay, just today you're, you're strong enough. You're going to, take yourself to the lake. You're just going to sit all day by the lake and just envision this beautiful life and do whatever the tools were that kept my mindset grounded day after day after day. And I did that for the full five years on it. When I got uh, listed on the heart transplant, that was a whole other emotional roller coaster. I was terrified, terrified. You're going to take my heart out and put somebody else's heart in me. Like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are the doctor's hands steady? Like, yeah. what, what's the success rate in this? Um, and for anybody out there, just so you guys know, um, when I was told I had to have a heart transplant, I literally, the only thing I thought of was like back in the 80s when they did like their first like pig heart transplant or uh-huh. something or like, and, and like it didn't work out. And I was like, that's all I knew. Because how many people do you know think about heart transplants or really know anybody that's had one? So I, my mind had to get caught up with the latest, like how many years had gone by and the advancement of technology. So turns out they do, I mean, there's so many heart transplant done every single day. It's insane. But I, I had to go through this period of really getting comfortable with the fact that I now needed to accept peace. I needed to say goodbye to my own heart. So I started this process of like releasing my old heart before the surgery. You know, you don't know when you're going to get called. It's, it's, you know, unfortunately, whenever, whenever there's a donor heart. So, um, you know, when they get the heart, you got to show up within, you know, an hour. 
to the hospital. So you, you have like, um, not a beeper, but you know, your phone. Is, always it, has is it literally right after somebody dies? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, you, it's, it's emotional. <laughs> so you got, so you got your heart. Yeah. And then so what I happened? Did. So I got my heart, but when they put the heart in, um, it didn't start. Uh, and so I had to be hooked and, and it's, I know it sounds crazy, but it does sometimes happen. Um, and they know how to deal with it. So, but it was a major complication. Um, so with the new heart, they had to put me on all of the same life support that I was on years prior. So it was like round two of full blown life support, the, the, the ventilator. Oh my God. It was just crazy. And I was in the hospital again for another three months, but this time I recovered faster. But you know, when you're in bed for so long, your, your muscles become atrophied. So for the second time now being on life support, I had to do full body rehabilitation. So that kind of made me stay in the hospital for three months. I could, I couldn't even stay. But but then that heart worked. Yeah. But then everything worked. I came home. I was still in a wheelchair um, and I, again, I'm a go-getter. So I'm like, well, I'm home. I don't feel well, but let me start a business. <laughs> so I started my brand. I didn't, I, I was like, it can't be a programmer anymore. It hurts too much to sit at a computer. Um, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I just know I've run out of my savings. So thankfully I made a lot of money in advertising where I actually had six years of life savings, oh, which wow. is, yeah, which most people if they're lucky, they have like three to six months. Like I had 60 years. So I was very good with my money. Um, so I was able to live off like just drips of that, like for the whole time I was sick. And, um, but I ran out by the time I had the heart transplant. I was like, like say, oh. did you have insurance or was it all? Yeah. So I had insurance. So it, to keep me alive, it, it cost to bring me back to life. It costs, um, $3 million. How much did this yeah. whole process cost? Three million for all of it? Yeah, three million. Well, three million before the heart transplant. Wow! Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> so thankfully, I had. You're worth every million. I know, right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah. how how what was it like? So okay, you got yeah. past this. You went through just years, <laughs> just so much struggle and everything else. Yeah. Stay. You kept positive mindset. So how did you, like, now that you got back, how, yeah. what was this a year ago, two years ago? It's two years ago now. So how did you get back into the entrepreneurship world to start actually making money and building up your business? Yeah. So I, I had one, uh, idol that I, that had actually helped me get through cancer and her mm-hmm. name is Chris Carr. And, um, she's a cancer thriver. She actually still has cancer, but she's got a massive brand She's a part of the whole Hay House publication. She's spoken with Wayne Dyer, Louise Hayes, that whole crew. And I loved her brand. I loved her mission. I loved how she turned her her current cancer diagnosis that she still has to this day. It's just a very slow-moving cancer. I loved how she used this platform to just vulnerably come out and share everything. For her, it started with a, a DVD movie that she launched called Crazy Sexy Cancer. And it just, from that footage of what she went through, you know, for so many cancer patients, it was everything. And she inspired me so much to just fight, fight, fight through it all that I was like, 
I can't do much with my body right now. I'm so broken. But yeah. what if what if I could use my story to inspire people? And the only thing I knew how to do, because I didn't have a business, didn't know where it was going, but I had a vision. I had a vision very similar to hers of how I could build a brand platform with the story as my base. And I could envision all these sub-brands off of it that could generate income serving people, but also fueling money back into my core brand so I could go bigger and serve more. And so I just, that's where Periscope launched. It just happened to launch like three months after I got home from the hospital and I was still in a wheelchair. I was still bedridden, couldn't walk, but I hit press play, you know, start record and in my pajamas with no makeup, I got on there and uh, I would dry my tears right before because I was terrified of cameras. And I was very shy, like Brandon. I would pass out if I was ever on camera. I didn't even like taking yeah. pictures of me. I didn't like anyone taking pictures of me. So this was my history. And I had to overcome the biggest fear, which was being vulnerable on live camera. And you overcame and, it. And I overcame it. And that was the launch of my brand. <laughs> and what did you sell? So I ended up, what I did was I just gave value, 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 value. I showed up three times, three times a day, Brandon, not oh feeling God. well. I was, and actually the doses of my heart transplant medicines were so high. Like the immunosuppressant drugs were so high. And I was on so many drugs that I, it's going to sound gross, but I li- just to show you what I pushed through. I would be throwing up in between live streams. Oh, yeah. So I did three a day and I would be throwing up and crying between them. But I would come on and I would give my all. And I just found that people were so loving. They were so supportive. They didn't care that I, what I looked like. Like I had my scar. I still have my scar from from one of the times when I was on the, the, tr- the trach for the life support you know, so many things. There were women on there with makeup and, and jewelry. And here I was in my pajamas, you know, and it was scary, but I stuck with it. And around the same time I found Grant Cardone, uh, New York Times, uh, number one best selling author, um, and, you know, sales, you know, guru of all times. And he, gave me the support every day in my ear. He was all over live streaming on every platform Mm -hmm. and just having him in my ear. um, And I, one thing I want to say that I did around this time, this is, this is the key of what helped me go forward. Once I was no longer on the bionic heart, once I had my heart transplant, even though I was in a wheelchair, couldn't walk, couldn't even put a fork to my mouth. I couldn't find my mouth. I couldn't hold a fork. There was no muscle. All right. I had to learn everything all over again. I had to train my hands how to close. Um, in that vulnerable state, I heard Grant Cardone say, no negativity. And he was so with full on conviction. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they're blood. I don't care whatever. You need to remove all negativity. And that he, his voice, the reason Grant is so important to me, his voice, his presence, his energy literally 
And, and this is for anybody that, that wonders if you could be spiritual, if you could be loving and still follow Greg Cardone because he's got a presence. He's awesome. Yeah. Right. He's awesome. Like I just love him. And the reason I love him is because his energy absolutely without a doubt resonates the exact vibration that was in heaven. That is amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh like, yeah. It res like without a doubt. And when I heard him speak, I was like, this is, I, this is it. I like, he's here. He's going to guide me to the top. And all I did was I listened to everything he said. When he said, get rid of no negativity. I went to all the people in my life. I don't care if they were family or not. I said, I'm going to heal my body. I feel broken. I feel vulnerable. I'm in a ton of pain. I'm going to create another miracle besides the miracle that I'm still alive. I need another miracle to survive this new heart beating inside me, which by the way, the first few months you're like, Oh my God, what's this beating inside me? Like it had, you need time to merge with your new organ. So trust me, I was full body uncomfortable. And I went up to each and every one of them knowing I needed them. I needed somebody to cook for me. I needed somebody to put food in my mouth, Brandon. I needed somebody to help me get dressed. I needed somebody to hold me up by the sink when I brushed my teeth. That was a condition that I found Grant in. And I just knew that if I trusted his vibration in my ear, because it matched the frequency of heaven, I knew anything was possible. I knew I could create anything because that's what I learned in heaven. So this is powerful and Everything, I mean, anything is possible. Like this whole thing in this show, anything's possible, really tells you you should go after whatever you want in life. Yeah. So today, you've come so far. So now today, what are you doing? What is your vision for the future of your life? Yeah. My vision is like, it's so powerful. I mean, I want to impact a billion people around this planet. Like, I want my message out there. I want a billion people to know my story and how you can literally go from death, (laughs) from crossing over, from going through being beat down, beat down over and over again, disappointment. You know, when I was on the bionic heart, I was like, it was so difficult. I was like, why was I saved? This is the mindset I had to go. I had to come to terms with why was I saved, Brandon? And through all of that, it was a journey of, of getting back to myself. It was a journey of going within, within the darkness, not being afraid of the darkness, not being afraid of being alone and knowing that I was worthy, no matter how broken I was, no matter wheelchair or not. I didn't know if I was ever going to get a heart transplant. I didn't know. Along the journey, you don't know because they have to do tests. They have to prove yeah. you. You don't know. In every single moment, I had to trust that I am worthy, whole and complete, exactly as I am with these scars in me. You know, the other women I'm around don't have this scar. They don't have the scars on my stomach that that kept me alive or the big scar across my chest for my heart transplant. But I'm still worthy. And I know it. And I'm going to show the world that I'm worthy. And I'm going to show them that they are worthy too. So my big mission is to get out there 
however I can, connecting with as many awesome people that are aligned with a similar vision to make a big impact on the world and get that message out. You know, I don't know exactly what it all looks like. It could look like a, a show. It could look like, you know, um, more articles on Influenza. It could look like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't even have to know what it looks like. I just have to know that's my vision. Well, you're already doing it. Go on the show because we're going to share this message like <laughs> far and wide, like all over. It's a great story. Like I, like I have looking, like I, I told you, like we were going to have this for 35 minutes, but I, we like went out. I just had to listen. I already texted like, Hey, we're going to delay our meeting. Oh my God. But I had to, because this is so good and uh, it's so true. But out of all this that happened, Sherry, what can you biggest thing you can take? If you were to sum up to one or two things out of everything you've been through, what can you share with the world? that can help them through any obstacle that they have right now or anything to get through it yeah. or just advice to have success in life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my biggest advice is to do the work so that you can start to understand that no matter what circumstance you are, are surrounding you, no matter who is in your life, no matter who is mistreating you, no matter what type of job you have, maybe you don't have a job, Maybe you lost all your money. No matter what, maybe you're diagnosed with a disease. Maybe you're fighting for your life right now. Like so many of the patients that I'm set out to work with at my hospital and other hospitals, no matter what you are facing, you are always okay. And I learned that in heaven because I already shared with you how beautiful it is even in heaven. And that's why I don't, fear anymore. I, it's not a bad thing that I crossed over. It's not a bad thing when our loved ones pass on. It's a transition and we need to learn to not fear the end because when we fear so much that end, we become afraid. We become stagnant and we don't truly live. And the biggest thing I learned is, honestly, I don't even know if I'm going to live another 20 minutes still and neither do you and that's the reality the reality is you have no idea how long you're going to live so you might as well stop worrying about what everybody else thinks stop allowing yourself to be beaten by other people stand your ground own your worth step into your power and follow what brings you joy and passion because that is what I did. And that is what's leading me to my greatest, most expansive life. You are no different from the moon, the sun, the stars, the planets. You're no different. We're all cosmic creation. We're all powerful. And I want you all to just step into that and know that you can shine as bright as a shining star in the sky. That is powerful. Use those <laughs> If it, your last 20 minutes, all every 20 minutes increments as if it were your last. And, you know, Sherry, this whole show embraces like the whole focus and why I created this show. Why I created, it started University of Young Entrepreneurs, now Live to Grind, to interview successful entrepreneurs, but also to say this, life is so short. Yeah. You could die tomorrow. You don't know. Yeah. And like that moment you said earlier when you were in bed and you realized, 
3 a.m. I was working for somebody else. I was going and getting the grades. I was doing it all for other reasons, but not for me, not what I really, I wasn't living truly to myself. And that's one thing I've experienced in my life too, not truly living to myself. And if you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, would you change it? And you yes. did die and you had the opportunity to change it. Now you're doing it. So you can be that voice to share with others. Hey, I've died. I've come back to life. I've experienced this. Yeah. And I know what is true in life. What really makes you happy, just go and do what you want. Don't, yes. if you're at a nine to five job right now and you don't like what you do, then get out. Ser- yeah. Simple as that. If you're in a relationship you don't want to be in right now, get out. Like, just know that life is short and yeah. no time is granted. Every minute could be your last and live it to the fullest. And as an entrepreneur, as a bit, whatever you do. And Sherry, thank you so much. Like this thank show, you. like I, I'm just honored to say, to be able to interview you for this, this journey in life. How many people can say they, they can interview somebody that's died and came back to life, but the entrepreneur in itself, like an entrepreneur. And the best part is the entrepreneur mindset to defeat death. And that's what you've exactly. had. Yeah. defeated so many things and, you ever need anything, you know, I'm a phone call away. I'm a text yes. and message. I, you're going to get to your billing because I obviously, that's my goal too. So yeah. we'll get there together. We'll collaborate yeah. and help each other. Sherry, where can people yeah. find you? If they want to hear, they want to have you speak. If they want to ever work with you or see any of your content, where can they find you? Yeah, absolutely. So the best place to go um, is, and you can even see some of my uh, other interviews as well, or if you want to contact me, uh, for any speaking engagements is to go to my website, which is sherryamay.com. That's C-H-E-R-I-E-A-I-M-E-E.com. And if you'd like to interact with me uh, daily, I am all over Twitter. So you can find me uh, at XO Sherry Amay. I love it. I love it. Any <laughs> last words? You know, the biggest thing I really want to say is that what I took out of uh, working for all those other people and coming back out of, you know, death. It was not just the fact that I had given so much time to those other companies. The biggest thing I kept saying over and over again in my mind, you just made me remember was I have nothing to show for it. I had nothing to show because I'd given all of my time to producing stuff for other people and I had nothing to leave behind. So make your legacy in the world, whatever that means to you and leave something behind because the world needs you. The world needs you leave your legacy. Your story needs to be told. Everybody's story needs to be told. So tell it to the world. Yeah. Thank you. And as I end on this note, which embraces everything about this show for all of you listening, you need to go out there to create something great and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I'm Brennan C. Adams. Have a great day, everyone. Wow. Like, wow, that's what I have to say. I, I'm i curious to hear what you, your thoughts on that show and just what you took out of it. Really, just please email me, brandon at brandontadams.com. Let me know what you think. Like the experience you went through, 
She went through so much. She is such a strong person doing some big things. And honored to say I know her, and she's actually even went through the accelerator program with us. And it was cool to just see her grow and and go through so many different obstacles and and defeat all odds. So if you want to check out more about Sherry, you can go to our notes at livetogrind.com. Highly suggest you check her out, everything she's doing. And I hope this is a note for you. This is inspiration. That life is short. You know, one thing that stuck out to me is she was living her life at every 20-minute increments. Like she didn't know if she was going to live in there 20 minutes. She didn't know every 10 seconds. Like she was living for that moment. And for you, live every day as if it were your last. If you're at the gym, give it your all at the gym. If you're out and working towards a big goal with your company, give it your all every single day. If you want to become the best at any field, master your craft in and out every day as if it were your last. Because when your day does come to your last, you can look back and whatever that may be and see, wow, I did everything I could. I lived a life to the fullest. So for you, are you living your life to the fullest? I want you to ask yourself that question and be true to yourself. So that's all I got for the show. I hope you enjoyed this. And as I always end, this embraces the entire show about creating great things and becoming unforgettable because life really is too short not to. So for you, go out there, create something great, and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. My name is Brandon T. Adams. Have a great day, everyone. (music) 